just a few more days, this coming Thursday, at exactly 11.57 a.m., which is what, four days, one hour, and an odd number of minutes, the, uh, the plane of the Earth's equator will pass the center of the sun. And we will have approximately 12 hours of daylight and 12 hours of night on that day. You can already smell it in the air. Yesterday was beautiful. We had that one day that last week that was absolutely gorgeous. Went outside without a jacket on. It was just, just amazing. You can, you can feel the warmth and you know spring is coming. You can't stop it. Spring is coming. I can't stop it. It will happen. Time is like that. Time marches on and seasons come and go. And whether you measure them with a calendar or a clock or with a crick in your neck, you know time continues on. And we're getting a little bit older. Time advances. You know, even, even Jesus was aware of the passage of time. And He was aware of His place in time and his purpose in time he was aware of his time so much so that when you read the gospel of john time is kind of a recurring character in the gospel of john it comes up over and over again we we read jesus saying things like my hour has not yet come and he says an hour is coming and soon will come and then when he washed his disciples feet john says that jesus knowing that his hour was near and then in the garden he prayed to his father and he said father the hour has come jesus couldn't stop time it continued marching on exactly one month to the day after we welcome spring on march 20th on april 20th we get to celebrate easter and that's an exciting time for us. It's a time of celebration. It's a time of joy. It's a time of sharing, and, and it's a time of shouting. But rather than just see it as one day, as, as one event, as, as one holiday, I want to help us prepare our hearts. And so in my Sunday school class, we're studying resurrection because I want people to understand the glory of what that day is all about, that it's not, just, that it's not about bunnies and eggs, you know. It's, uh, it's about something bigger. It's about something eternal. It's about something wonderful that God not only did through Jesus, but that God has promised for us. And so I want us to prepare our hearts for that time and spend a few weeks focusing on Jesus as He looked to the hour, to the time leading up to His crucifixion and to His resurrection. We're going to begin today in in John, in the Gospel of John, chapter 2. If you're using those Bibles in the pews in front of you, it is on page 887. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. John says, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? 
my hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rite of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. Um, so, they, so they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This was the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. John never refers to a miracle as a miracle. John always calls miracles signs. Signs point to something, don't they? Whenever you see a sign, it is pointing to something. Jesus says to his mother in verse 4, he says, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now later on in the Gospel of John, in chapter 17, Jesus prays. He prays in the garden and he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Jesus says in verse, or John says in verse 11 here in chapter 2, that in doing this miraculous sign, in this miraculous sign, Jesus had manifested His glory. And in chapter 17, Jesus prays to the Father and He says, I have shown them Your glory. I have brought You glory. So beyond water to wine, beyond guests getting drunk at a wedding, this is about glory. Jesus glorifying His Father and His Father being glorified in us. See, our lives should be about bringing God glory. That's that's why we live. The way that we love God, the way we serve Him, the way we praise Him, our lives would be about bringing God glory. The way we simply live our lives, our lives are to be our commitment to Him. is a commitment to bringing Him glory. There's a great psalm that uh, I know some of you are familiar with. It's a great psalm. It's Psalm 24, verse 7. Psalm 24, 7 says, Lift up your heads, O you gates, Be lifted up, you everlasting doors, that the King of glory may come in. It's a great psalm. Psalm 24-7. 24-7, we are to be about bringing God glory. The miracle of water changing to wine is a reminder of that. It's a reminder that your life is to be about bringing God glory. And it's a sign. John says it's a sign. It's a sign that tells us that transformation comes from the touch of Jesus. The ancients used to study the art of alchemy. 
Now, alchemy is the study of the transmutation of matter. Keep that in mind. It'll be a test over it later. Alchemy is the study of the transmuting of matter. That is, taking matter from taking one kind of matter and creating something else. Taking something base, like lead, and turning it into something wonderful, like gold. And the only problem with alchemy is it, it doesn't work. <laughs> no. that's, the only, that's the only hitch. Alchemy doesn't work. You can't take something common and make something uncommon out of it. Whether it's lead being changed into gold, whether it's water being changed into wine, whether it's you and I as fallen, sinful, broken, hurting, lost people. Through natural means, we cannot be transformed into creatures of glory. We can try. And sometimes we do try. You know, we can try really hard. I've got, I've got water right here. I can try to transform this water into wine. Okay, watch. Watch this. No? Okay. Sometimes, you know what helps? I'm a parent, and I know this helps when you want to transform your child. You know what helps? Yelling at it. Wine! Be wine! Stop whining. No. Be wine! I yelled at it, and it didn't work. That doesn't work with my kids very often either. Um, you know what? Maybe just encouraging it. Just in, If I keep it warm, you know, if I keep it warm and be nice to it, you know, you, you're really good, and I know you've got it in yourself. You can become wine. You can do this. You've got this. I know you can do it. You can become wine. Just, just try. If you try really hard, you can become wine. Let's see if it worked. Ready? Uh, slightly oaky. It's got a good nose. Let's say, uh, let's say the, the mountains of uh, California, maybe. And uh, no, that's uh, that's just food coloring. That's just red food coloring and water. So, so that didn't work. Um, we can try dressing it up. You know, we could try dressing it up and making it look like wine. We do that sometimes. You know, if I just look my best, if I act my best, if I, if, I just, if I just try to look the part. You know, we tell people, don't dress for the job you have, dress for the job you want. So if I just look the part, if I fake it until I make it, I can become holy. No, it doesn't work like that. I could give up, and I could simply say, you know, I know you're just water, but you be the best water you can be. You know, yeah, you, you don't have to try for anything more. Just be the best water that you can be and leave it at that. There's so many things that we try to convince ourselves that we can do. We try to convince ourselves that we can be good enough, that we can do good works, that we can serve. And if we do these good works, we do these good things, then, then God will save us. But the problem is the Bible tells us that's not how it works. It's not about being good. It's about realizing that you can't be good enough. You don't have it in and of yourself to be transformed into something greater than yourself, into this glorious eternal being. Because we've sinned, we have broken God's law, and we will be punished for that. Jesus told his mother, my hour, my time has not yet come. 
Now, later on in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, Paul says, but when the time had come, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. You see, when that happens, when that happens, a miracle takes place in your life. Water does become wine, and a fallen, lost, sinful individual is transformed into a holy and forgiven saint. Jesus did that to you. It was His touch in your life. Only Jesus' touch can take something ordinary and make it into something extraordinary. And when that happens, it is cause for celebration. I, uh, I love to watch the legalists worm their way around this miracle and make, make excuses for Jesus. That's what they do. They try to make excuses for Jesus. I, I participate in a few forums for ministers that where they discuss very deep, important theological questions. And, and a few weeks ago, the question of the story of Jesus turning water into wine came up in one of the forums that I'm a part of. And uh, I was wanted to read you some of the responses because the, the question was, what did Jesus really do? You know, it, what really happened? Did he, did he really turn water into wine? There were no less than 436 responses to that question. I'm going to read all of them right now. I'm going to read just a couple, three of them. So one person responded and said, I don't believe the wine at the wedding feast had any alcohol in it. And the reason why is because Jesus made it. Okay. That's, that's not really logic, but okay. okay. Um, someone else wrote and said, anybody that wants to drink any form of alcohol can drink it if they want. But you cannot do it with any proof that Jesus ever consumed any alcohol while he was here. I be- they called him a wine-bibber. And they, they called him a drunkard. And they, made, they said all these things about him that he, was a, that he drank. And, and uh, Anyway, um, I believe he never drank any alcohol. And to, people he, and to believe he gave people alcohol at the wedding feast is pure speculation and conjecture at well, as well. And then this was a good one. The Bible never says that Jesus drank alcohol. All it says is that he drank wine. And wine in the Bible can be grape juice or what we call modern day wine. Look, um, read the context. How many times do I say in Bible study, context, context, context. Read the context of the story. Verse 6, he says there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. Keep that in mind, because that's why those jars were there. For the Jewish rite of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. And then he said to them, now draw some of it out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Wedding feasts would last for days. And so what you would do is you would give people the good stuff first. Give them the good wine and let them get a nice little buzz going. 
And then you would start diluting the wine with water. And you would do about a three-to-one diluting and over and over again and diluting it and diluting it because by this time their palate was not nearly as sensitive, you know, or discriminating. And so they would drink just about anything at that point. But the host is amazed because this is the purest, this is the best, and he saved the best for last. And, you know, I don't want to make light of it because it is a real debate. And it... It is a real concern for some people. And beyond it being a debate about this text, it is a very real temptation. We have seen just the horrors and the, the, the devastation that alcoholism can bring to a family, to an individual, to a community. It's, it's just an awful thing, and I don't want to make light of that. But what bothers me the most about these responses, what really bothers me about these responses, is somebody telling God what he can't do. That God can't make water into wine. Don't you dare make any wine for those people, God. Don't you dare let them have any fun. At the heart of it, that's what a legalist does. A legalist is telling God what he can't do. And he's telling you what God can't do for you. He can't turn water into wine. He can't possibly forgive that sin that, that haunts you. He can't possibly forgive those mistakes that you made in the past. He can't forgive those mistakes you made today. God can't forgive this. God can't forgive that. And God can't possibly love you after you did this. I think Jesus really had it out for those people. (laughs) I think he really had it out for the legalists. And here's why. Those jars, and those pictures up there you see, those are the jars that are used for ceremonial washing. They hold, as the text says, between 20 and 30 gallons of water. And they are used for ceremonial washing. You see, the Jews have these rules that you had to wash at certain times. And you had to wash it. And it wasn't like you and me where it's like, go wash your hands before you eat. Because you know, well, there's microbes and there's germs and there's all this stuff. They didn't know all that. It was a ceremonial thing. And there was a certain way they had to pour the water over their hands. There's a certain way they had to dry them. There's all these things they had to go through. It was not about being free of disease or free from germs or even getting the dirt off. It was about being ceremonially pure before God. There was a proper time to wash. And if you didn't wash, you bet someone would notice. Somebody would see that you didn't do it, and they would tell somebody else, he didn't wash. He didn't wash. He's a sinner. He is unclean. Those water jars were for ceremonial cleansing. But now they're full of wine. How are you going to be ceremonially clean if the water jars are now full of of wine? How are you going to cleanse yourself if they're now full of wine? How will you be clean before God? You see, for Jesus, it wasn't a matter of ceremonial cleansing. He was more concerned about real cleansing. It wasn't a matter of just looking good, of looking the part, of looking like you were clean. That's why he says to the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 23, verses 25 and 26, he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You get the idea, maybe he's not really talking about cups and plates, maybe he's talking about scribes and Pharisees. Okay. Inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may also be clean. And we shouldn't think that we're immune to that kind of thinking ourselves because we judge the outside 
way too often. And even worse, we put up a front for ourselves. We put up this nice front that looks clean, and we hope that no one ever gets close enough so they can really see what's on the inside. If you'd seen those jars at that wedding, if you'd seen those big jars standing there at the side in that wedding, you would have judged, you would have judged that those, that those jars were full of water. You would have said, those are water jars, those jars are full of water. You would have judged it as being full of water, and you would have said, I don't need that, because I am already clean. And you would have missed out on a miracle. You would have missed out on a miracle, because you never looked beyond what you saw on the outside. You never knew what Jesus had done on the inside. We do that with people. We don't do it with jars. We, we do it with people. We judge by what we see. We judge by what we see on the outside, what looks unclean to us, what looks wrong to us, what looks like sin, what looks like just another person. And we never see the miracle on the inside. And as a result, we never see the miracle We never join in on the celebration. We never get to experience that wine. But if we're willing to let Jesus touch us, if we're willing to let Jesus transform us into something glorious, then that touch from Jesus, it overflows into faith in the lives of others. John wraps up the story in verse 11. Look what he says. He says, This, the first of his signs... Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested His glory. And His disciples believed in Him. I get the glory part. I do. I get that it manifests His glory. When Jesus did something that no one else had ever done before, that no one else could have done before, Jesus did this, and it was glorious. It was amazing. And when they saw water go in and wine came out, that is incredible, glorious. It's the second part that bothers me. And... His disciples believed in Him. (laughs) This is chapter 2. He's already got disciples. i got to ask the question, what is the use of a faithless disciple? What's the point of having disciples if they don't believe in you? Why were they following Him? Why had they given up their lives? Why had these fishermen left their nets on the banks of the of the of of the lake and and why had they left their businesses why had they left their homes why had they left their families and come to follow jesus if they didn't believe in him why are any of us here if we don't believe in him why are we here if we don't have faith in him and what he can do when he touches us if we don't believe that Jesus actually has the power to transform us, to touch us, and to change us. To transform us into something better than we are. Something that we could never be on our own. And something that brings Him glory. To transform us into something that brings Him glory. Maybe we're just here to look the part. I wore my tie today. I wore my t-shirt last week. I wore my tie today because I wanted to look the part. Actually, I thought it would go really well with the wine. You know, the purple. I thought that would go really well. But are we here just to look the part? Are we here to to dress up and and pretend that we're okay? Uh, Maybe we're here just to do that. It looks like wine. I'll tell you what, it doesn't work like wine. 
Maybe we're here for that ceremonial cleansing. We're here for that ceremonial cleansing, just like the Pharisees. We're here because we know every week we've got to come. We've got to do this. We've got to take the bread. We've got to take the juice. And if we do that every week, we'll be okay. Everything will be fine. Uh, we'll we'll uh, you know, get our little eternal life insurance policy going one more week. You know, I paid, paid again for my policy, and, and we're going to be okay. We're here just for the ceremonial cleansing. The fact is, Jesus isn't here for a ceremonial cleansing. Jesus isn't here to dress you up and make you look good. He's here to transform you. He's here to change you into something that you could never be on your own. And when he touches us, when he changes us, and when we celebrate that, it overflows. It touches other people's lives, and it builds faith in them. The faith to believe that if he did it for you, that maybe he can do it for me also. You know, I I have to admit, that's why I first came here. As a, as a little kid coming to church at 16 years old, deciding to give my life to Christ, I'll tell you why I did it. One of the big reasons I did it was because I looked at people like you. I looked at people like you, and I said, if he can do it for them, if he can do it for those people, maybe he can do it for me. They're not all that great. If he can do it for them, maybe he can do it for me too. You guys showed me his glory. You guys showed me what it could be like. I saw people in this church that had something different, and I wanted it. If he could do that for you, maybe he could do it for me too. What if he touched your life today? What if he transformed you today, and through that touch, Jesus brought glory to himself, manifested his glory in you? And what if through your transformation His power is seen and His love is seen and His forgiveness is seen in your life. And through that transformation, somebody else puts their faith in Him. Somebody else were to believe in Him. What would that do for you? If they saw that in your life and it transformed them, what would that do for you? What would that do for our community? What would that do for the kingdom of God? In John chapter 17... Jesus says, as he prays to the Father, he says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. There are a lot of people who are wondering what eternal life is. There are a lot of people wondering what what eternal life is, and they're looking in all different kinds of directions. For some, they're, they're searching for some secret to eternal life. I want to know what the secret is to eternal life and some truth that, they've, that, that hasn't yet been discovered that's going to point them to eternal life. Some of them are, are searching within themselves and they think, you know, if I just, if I just live good enough, if I just do right, if I, if I live the life right, if I, if, I, if I do good enough, God will let me in. And then some people have just given up because they never found it in those places. So some people have given up and they've decided there is nothing eternal. There is nothing that lasts. All that there is is all that we have, and that is it. And they've decided that they're just going to do what they want. Jesus says this. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. How will they ever know him if they don't see him in you, if they don't see that miracle in your life, the transformation that he has caused 
in you. You have the ability not only to bring glory to God, but to build faith in the life of someone else. You have the ability to become that sign, just like water to wine, that sign that points people to something greater, that points them that something is ahead, that there is one way. By letting them see the transformation, by letting them drink it in, by letting them know that He has touched you. The trouble is, too often, there's some part of us, sometimes it's just a small part of us, that refuses, we refuse to let Jesus transform that one little part. And, and you know, sometimes it's a matter of pride. Sometimes we don't want to admit that we have a problem, right? Sometimes we'll say, well, no, no, there's nothing there. This, you know, we, we don't really have a problem. That's going to be okay. Or sometimes it's a matter of pride. We think, well, I'm going to take care of this myself. I don't need God's touch. I don't need God's attention. I don't need to, <clears throat> I need to share this with God. I, I'm going to handle this problem on my own. I'm going to handle this addiction. I'm going to handle this, uh, this particular sin, this particular bad behavior that I have. I'm, I'm going to take care of it myself. I, I don't need that. Sometimes it's a thing in the past that just continues to haunt us, something that happened in the past that just keeps coming back again and again, some mistake that either we made or some mistake that was made to us, something that affects us. No amount of hiding it will ever transform. Right? No amount of holding on to that, clinging to it, will ever transform. See, what Jesus did was he transformed that water. Water does not ferment, okay? <laughs> water does not ferment. But somehow, through the touch of Jesus, water became grape juice, which be then fermented. I don't know how it happened. Don't get me started there. But somehow, water became something that could be transformed that was now something wonderful to the point that the host says, you've saved the best for last. Water doesn't ferment. Water stagnates. Water gets dirty. And then it stagnates. And then it starts to stink. And then it just stinks up everything, doesn't it? That's what happens when you hold on to it. That's what happens when you keep it and you say, I'm going to take care of this myself. It doesn't transform. It clings to you. And it decays. And it stinks. If you want real transformation, you have to turn it over to Jesus. You have to let Him change it. We're going to sing a song. This is a song that we were blessed with last week. And uh, we're going to sing it together. And uh, it's a call to transformation. It's a call to God's amazing grace and to what His grace can do in our lives. And today, if there is something that you're holding on to, something that you just haven't given over to Him, something that you've struggled with, if you need us to pray with you, if you need us to help you through that, we would love to do that for you because there are people in this church who have been transformed. Trust me, I've seen it, and I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe that was true, if I didn't believe that there were people here who actually had something that I wanted and that I wanted to be different. Maybe you're holding on to something because you think you can take care of it yourself. Maybe you think you can make something beautiful of it yourself. You can't. Only the touch of Jesus can transform. Only his amazing grace can release you from that. Let's stand together and give ourselves to him.